0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Uh, while we're collecting up your gifts and your generosity this morning, would you open your Bibles to John chapter 14? And I just want to say happy Mother's Day to each and every mom here today, and I hope that... Uh, you have an opportunity to know how loved and appreciated you are, and I hope if you're uh, one of the children in the room today that you'll take special opportunity just to speak love into uh, the woman in your, who brought you into life and who cares for you and uh, who sacrifices each and every day. And uh, also, as a part of our worship, let's just thank God uh, for our moms and for the gift that they are uh, in a beautiful way. You bet. little bit of a commercial before we begin and we collect the offerings up. I want you to know if you're visiting here, especially for those of you that have been here for a while, we have a Thursday night service, which is the first of our four services. So it's basically the same message as uh, Sunday mornings, but it happens the Thursday going into the weekend. And so we know with lake time coming up and travel ball between softball and baseball and all that takes place and and vacations and all that, we want to just encourage those of you who may have forgotten uh, that there is an opportunity. We have a beautiful crowd that shows up on Thursday night, a group of regulars that worship But we know as summer months increase of activities, we just want to remind you that there's an opportunity for you to worship with your community, Uh, the people in this community that you go to church with, that you do life with and share your faith with, that there's an opportunity for you, if if the weekends are busy or you go away, to be with us and worship. And we just want to encourage you to remember Thursday nights at 645 and uh, bring some friends with you. you beautiful opportunity for people who can't come on the weekends because of work schedules and everything else to have an opportunity to gather with other believers and be encouraged and inspired to walk by faith, which is the thing we're here to do. And so we hope you'll take advantage of that as the opportunities allow. Uh, we are in this text in John 14. It is an intense text, I'm not going to lie. It's probably not one I would have chosen for Mother's Day right out of the chute, but where we are in our series, it says something very, very powerful for each of us. We're Thursday night and Jesus has the disciples in the upper room. Uh, He has taken the Passover meal, which they would have been celebrating that night, and he shows them how it's not going to just be something about their past and what took place out of Egypt into the Promised Land, but he turns it into the Lord's Supper where he talks about the future and his return and how he is building this kingdom and God is going to deliver all of us from that. And in the midst of all of that, he washes the disciples' feet, showing that he is willing to submit himself to service For what's best for all of them and gives them an example and he says as I have done to you you should do to others and he uses the metaphor of washing feet to show us that we're here to serve so that people know how God feels about them and know what God has done for them then he takes the bread which was a part of the Passover meal and he gives a piece of it to Judas and he says to Judas go do what you've planned to do he releases Judas to betray him. Because Jesus knew that through the betrayal of Judas, he would then be sent to the cross and through the cross, his blood would cleanse all of us of our sins. It's what Paige and Isaac just beautifully shared. When we understand who Jesus is, he becomes so much for us, so much more than we ever imagined he could be. And all of those titles taken from scripture show us who he is. This morning, I want to just break down John 14 by answering four questions as Jesus walks us through it. The first question, which will be the lengthy one. So those of you that are timekeepers, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one. Don't panic. You'll get home today. The first question is, who is he? The second question is, why does this matter? Or excuse me, what does this mean? Third question, why does it matter? And then I want to end with the fourth question is, what is promised from what we learned today? What can we walk out of here with in courage? Because we want to inspire you to walk by faith. So let's begin. Who is he? Remembering it's that night that he has told them he's going and they can't come with him, and that he is going to be killed in Jerusalem. You have to understand that. I know there's been a week since we last talked about this, but please understand the context of this whole uh, chapter is that the disciples would have been perplexed and they wouldn't have understood why Judas just left, and everything is unraveling around them, and they're not sure what's going on. Jesus says in verse 1 Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, then you will also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. So he's just set them up very, very simply. He's using a new metaphor, where washing of the feet was a physical metaphor, an example of what would be required of us to understand the love of God. Jesus goes to a new metaphor, and he introduces it as a home, an abode, a place, a palace. I go to prepare a place for you. He's told them that I'm going to leave you for a while, but he also tells them in the midst of this, I will come back and get you. And there's something very significant. I want you to hold on to remember that. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to go. Well, when are you coming back? I don't know. Don't worry about it. He's not doing that to him. He said, I'm going to leave you, but I will come back and get you. I will not forget you. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I will be back. And then he says, and you know the way where I am going. This metaphor of a home, God the Father, this kingdom, a palace living in God's provisions. Remember, gathering around Jesus' table where he says, I will drink this wine again with you in my new kingdom. All of this imagery is fresh in their minds, and Jesus uses this image of a home where we go to be with God the Father where we sit at his table, and our king provides all that we need as his sons and daughters. And he reminds them by beginning, saying, don't let your heart be troubled. It's going to be hard. I get it. But Jesus knew what was coming that night, and he knew that their hearts would be troubled. But he reminds them that don't worry about what God doesn't do. Watch what he is doing. And I want to encourage every one of us with that. It's really easy when God doesn't do what we think he ought to. It's, it's really easy to simply say, there must be no God, because if I were God, well, anytime you start a sentence, if I were God, just stop. In God's wisdom, Jesus is telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. God's got this. Even the night that he would be betrayed and murdered, he's telling them God has this. Thomas asks a good question in verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's a great question, it's a legitimate question. Jesus said, I'm going, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, yeah, not so much. I don't. I don't understand this. I don't understand what's happening here. And Jesus comes back with one of the clearest declarations in all of Scripture. Verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the most controversial things Jesus ever says. It causes some people, especially in the Western culture of America with the Western mindset of independence, it causes a lot of problems for Christians. And it's not like Jesus made a mistake. It's just we just don't like what he said. And that is, Jesus makes a claim of exclusivity here. This is where he not only says who he is, but he also tells us how important it is that we understand who he is. Thomas says, how are we going to get there? And Jesus said, I will deliver you. I am the way. There's no path. I'm not going to leave a set of instructions. I'm not going to leave nine things you have to do to make sure you don't ruin this. He said, I will be the one to deliver you. That is an exclusive claim. There's no other way to get to the Father except through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be forgiven. There's no other way to have the the presence of God's spirit. There's no entrance into the holy kingdom of God without Jesus. There's no intimacy without the blood. The Passover metaphor, the Passover imagery of being washed in the blood to receive your freedom stands as pure today as it was back then. Jesus said, there's no other way but me, but the world doesn't want to hear this. How dare you Christians think you're the only way to the Father? How do we answer that? How do we live in a world that says, but what about this group and this group and this group and this group? What do we do with that? Well, first of all, let's take the tone away from it. I'm not celebrating that other people haven't found the way to God. I'm not celebrating. I don't enjoy that. I don't hate people who disagree with me on this, and neither should you. We're here to show them love. This is why when Jesus washed the feet, he said, you should do as I've done unto you. But let us understand that every other religion in the world sounds something like this. If you do these things you will find God. Christianity says God found us. So honor him. You see the difference? One is the way we earn our way to heaven. We earn our way into God's presence. We do certain things. And unfortunately, Christianity today has fallen into the trap that we like to espouse. If you do these certain eight things in a certain right way, at a certain right time, in a certain right place, then God is contractually obligated to to bring you home. Nope. Thomas said, we don't know how to get there. Jesus said, I'll get you there. I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. And that happened through the cross. Not because we were good and do the right things. It happens through the cross. You see, the reason Jesus can be the exclusive claim to the Father is because only he died for our sins and only his blood can cleanse us. And therein is our hope. Truth is not a group of ideals. It's not a set of behaviors. Truth is Jesus and what he came to reveal to us. If you want to know the truth, you need to get to know Jesus. You need to understand because, and I don't mean the prepackaged Jesus that many of us grew up with. Not the one that we were handed that said if you do these things, you, know, if you don't cuss and you go to church enough and you give enough money and you, you can become a better version of you that somehow God's going to go, oh, you knucklehead, come on in. Now, there's going to be a bunch of knuckleheads who get in because of the blood of Jesus and a bunch of good, pure people who aren't because their sins cannot be overcome by trying harder. Jesus is telling us who he is. And in a world that says Jesus never actually said he was God, pay attention to what he says this morning. Because I think you'll understand within the context of where he was speaking, if Jesus had thumped his chest and said, yes, I'm God, of course, are you not paying attention? That he would have been arrested and he would have been persecuted and he would not have been able on the Passover to show us the plan of God the way he did. So Jesus said it subtly. He inferred it. He shows it and he demonstrated it. Verse seven: If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I want you to pause here for a moment. They never seen God. What did they see? They'd seen Jesus. What did Jesus just say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is making a claim of deity here, clearly. And that the disciples wonder. You see, he reversed the claim. He opened by saying, if you believe in God, then you'll believe in me. And now he says, if you believe in me, you'll find God. Philip asks a question here in verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time... Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I don't think Jesus is scolding him. You see, what Philip is, is, let me just phrase it this way. I think every one of us is Philip at some point in our life. That we have heard about Jesus. We want Jesus. We believe Jesus is a good person. We believe that following Jesus is better than not following him. We believe that Jesus' people do a lot of really good things in the world. And so we look at all of this and we stop and we go, yay, Jesus. Yet that's not what Jesus calls for us. He says to Philip, who had seen him heal, heard him teach, saw him perform miracles, and saw him demonstrate his power and authority over nature, over demons, over it all. And yet Philip still could not see what Jesus was giving him, what offering him. Because this prepackaged Messiah, this is what I think the Messiah is going to be, and Jesus is really, really close. I think many of us, and I know that I have, many seasons of my life, even as a believer, where I'm Philip. I'm like, I really want to believe in Jesus, but if Jesus did these three things for me, or if Jesus answered the question of evil in the world, or Jesus stopped suffering of innocence, if those things happened, then I could invest in him. Philip, Jesus says, uh, don't you see? Verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is a, this is a question. Do you know who I am? Philip, do you see what I'm doing? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He says to him, here's two evidences, Philip. The words... Try the words that I'm giving you. Do what I tell you to do and see if they don't work. See if they don't do amazing things in your life. And second of all, look at the works that I've done. Look at the miracles. Look at the calming of the the sea and the casting out of demons. Look at all that I've done. But you and I pause the tape right here. And if we're honest, we go, yeah, I've never seen him perform a miracle. I've never seen him call calm the sea. I've never seen him cast out a demon. I've never seen him raise someone from the dead. I've never seen a leper healed. I've never seen any of those things, Mark. So you want me to believe in this historical record and a bunch of people who got to see this, and yet I want to say to you, look at the evidence of the resurrection. Because it was the resurrection that converted the disciples from believing in the prepackaged concept of a Messiah to understanding who exactly he was. And the evidence for the resurrection is not just for them. It's present to us today. You want to know who he is? Do what he says and look at the evidence of what he's done and you'll know who he is. Not only will you know who he is, you'll know who the Father is. Listen to my words. Look at my works. That's what he told them. So he's identifying who he is, sent from the Father to reveal the love of the Father as the Son of the living God. And he said, I am showing you the Father's love by my actions. My going to the cross at the end of this week will be a demonstration of how much God loves you and how much I love you by willing to pay your sacrifice on the cross. Second question of the morning is, what does who he is mean to his disciples? So knowing who he is doesn't change them, does it? Well, it can. Verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will rather do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things in these because I am going to the Father. This verse, unfortunately, and we have an, I have a propensity to do this myself, this verse, if taken out of its context on that night in that place talking to that group of people, this verse sometimes can be used that we are now able to do all of the miracles Jesus ever did because Jesus told us we could. Now, Jesus said you will do things greater than than miracles. Now, I want to pause the tape here again. I want to tell you that I do believe miracles can still happen. In fact, let me just put it this way. My justification for that statement is this. God can do whatever God wants to do because he's God. But I can't get God cornered so badly that he has to give me miracles to justify himself. If God would allow me to do miracles, I would love it. But until he does... I'm going to serve him with the things he's asked me to do because I want you to notice even Jesus stopped performing miracles at a certain point in his ministry because the crowds got so overwhelmed with the miracles he was performing, they would not understand who he was. Listen to what Jesus did in his life and tell me if you can't do these things. He proclaimed God's will for all mankind. He taught God's ways and God's desires. He introduced the love of God to all people. He fed the hungry, and he served the needs of people. And Jesus says, we're going to do things greater than him. What was the greatest thing Jesus did? He introduced the kingdom of God to us through his blood. And he's saying, you and I will do greater things than him. How can we do greater things than that? Because look how many of us there are. We're not limited by time. Well, yeah, I mean, I am, but together we're not. Look at a room like this. Maybe a 1,000 people gathered here in this place. In this particular room, 1,000 people who believe Jesus Christ is legit. What might we do? Could you and I proclaim the will of God, show the love of God, love all people regardless of their circumstances, feed the hungry, take care of the downcast, provide shelter and care for those who are broken? Could we do that? And could we introduce the kingdom in a powerful way that would flow throughout the world if we were serious about our finances, our time, and our character? Yes, we could. We could do an amazing thing. And Jesus said that's greater than what he did. It's greater in volume and it will be as great in impact. The meaning of the statement is that Jesus said, I came to glorify the Father and you will do great things in glorifying him too. I don't think Jesus was talking just about performing miracles. I think he was talking about building his kingdom and advancing it. Because at the end of his ministry, he would say, in the gates of hell, the gates of hell cannot stop us. That's great. And the continuing work, who is he? The Son of God, demonstrating the love of God through the cross. What does that mean to us? That we have a power available to us to proclaim the kingdom and advance the kingdom, bringing glory to God. Why does it matter? It's a fair question. Now, I'm kind of snarky, so when I write, I always want to answer the question each and every week when I'm teaching so what? So, what if I'm right? So what difference does it make? Because unfortunately, every one of us hears the gospel through personal benefit. And there comes a moment in time as we mature that we go from taking the gospel as personal benefit to God's benefit. To what can I do with this that will bring glory to God? And this is what Jesus is calling us to. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Once again, these verses, unfortunately, even today, throughout the United States, will be preached in such a way that Jesus is now, you own him. All you have to do is pray about it, and Jesus has to make it happen. Pay attention to what Jesus said. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name if it brings God glory. If it brings Mark glory, not so much. If it brings a church brand or a a local church, and it's title in town, if it brings them glory, not so much. Jesus is not obligated to bring us glory. Jesus loves nothing more than to bring the Father glory, and he invites us into the joy of that. Let's make it about God and not about us. And he said, if you begin to pray and ask the Father to work through you so that the kingdom is glorified and people are invited in by love and mercy into this kingdom, it's not about the exclusivity of Jesus keeping people out. It's about the exclusivity of Jesus gives us a power to bring people in. He's the only way. The blood of the cross is the only way you get with God what you lost in sin. Now, I would like to give a pop quiz of what I preached on last week, but I'm afraid I'd break into tears because I don't know anybody would remember. You feel bad for me? Last week, I told you that if you want to glorify God, you follow the example of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? First of all, he obeyed the Father, he loved all people, and he served each and every person by grace. You want to bring God glory? Obey the Father, love all people, and serve to bring grace to people's hearts and minds. And Jesus said, if you ask anything that brings about the glory of God, I'll get in on it. So what should we be actively praying for? I was looking through the New Testament this week thinking, what are some of the things that the Apostle Paul and Peter and and John and James and and what were these things written, the author of Hebrews? I just just did a survey quickly, and here's some things that I want to begin to pray for. And I encourage you too. If this is all about living in such a way that Jesus said, I will help you glorify my Father, and that will bring you a joy that you've never experienced before, here's what we can pray for that the truth of salvation would penetrate hearts. I know it's Mother's Day and I know that there are people here gathered with their moms and we're glad you're with us. But I know that there are some moms in the room today who don't have this relationship with their children. And today they won't, to- they won't be told they're loved. Or they have a child who's walked away from faith and no longer believes in the Jesus that they know is the answer. And My heart goes to them. Could we pray today? Would it bring God glory that we prayed that hard hearts would be softened by the gospel hope? How about courage to proclaim with love The grace that's available to every person, even those who disagree. Spiritual and, yes, physical healing. I do believe God heals. I don't believe that James tells us to pray over those that are sick and call on the elders of the church. I don't think he told us to do that, so it's token. You can find the research right now. God doesn't heal everybody on this side of death, but he'll heal everybody on the other side. But he even still today heals people on this side of death. Could we share the love of God to bring God glory? Could we share the kingdom? Could we build the church of God in such a way that God is glorified rather than a local brand or a local denomination or anything local? You see, in verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It's a powerful verse. And here's what I want you to notice. Do you catch the order there? Love produces obedience. What glorifies God? When his people love him. And love others because of him. So, who is he? Son of God, showing us the love of God through the cross. What does that mean to us? That we have a power available to us to get in on the kingdom in a more powerful way than we ever imagined. And why does this matter? Because God will empower our desire to glorify the work of the kingdom, that God will allow us to show the substance, weight, and beauty of God's kingdom to all people. So, what is promised? Left to our own devices, we're going to be pretty meager. But Jesus offers us something that night. He offered the disciples something that night, something that they wanted, something that they needed. And I think if we pay attention, something each of us would want. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Another counselor. Remember what they were worried about? Jesus was leaving. And they were thinking in their hearts, how are we going to do this without him? We're not even good with him. How are we going to survive without him? And Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you another counselor. And it's called the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus said, I'm leaving. And he said, but understand, I'm actually not going to leave. Physically, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave my spirit. The same spirit that's guided me and showed me God's provisions, I'm going to send him. I'd like to take verses 16 to 21. I'd like to give you five takeaways from this, okay? Very simple. Let me do the math for you. This is on the test, right? So now you know what to remember. Verse 16. Verse 17. I will be with you and I will come to you. Let's call it presence. Jesus said, yes, physically I will go, but I will not leave. My presence will be with you. Verse 18. You will see me, awareness. That you will be able to know the presence of God. You will be able to know that God is active and working around you. Verse 19. Because I live, you will also live. He's going to give life. He's going to explode life into us and bring a life that we've never had before. Verse 20, you will realize, Paul likes to call this enlightenment. Your mind will become aware. It's knowing what you really know. It's an experiential knowledge. And verse 21, you'll be loved by my Father, which I call salvation by grace. So I want to review this. Now, don't raise your hands. I just want you to think through this with me. Is there anybody here today who would love to know and be aware of the presence of God more than they do right now? Is there anybody here who would love to experience the life that Jesus says is ours, but you just feel like maybe it's lacking in you and it's, it's missing and you don't know what to do with it? So anybody here who would like to open the word of God and have a time of prayer where they feel enlightened, not like disconnected from the world in some ethereal manner, but actually be aware. It it happens so often when I'm opening a passage of scripture that I'll be looking and a word will pop off the page and I'll be thinking about it going, I wonder what that is. And all of a sudden, God will lead me on this beautiful little rabbit trail and I end up in this place where I'm like, oh my goodness, I've read that 30 times in my life and I never saw that before. I don't believe that's because I'm intelligent. Those of you who know me, please don't laugh. I think it's simply because the Holy Spirit's true. And the promises of Jesus are true. And at that moment in time, at that moment in my life, I was able to handle what God showed me through his spirit. See, Jesus came to reveal the truth of God through the love of God by the cross. He still enlightens us. And even for some of us here today, how would you like to be loved by the Father? No longer hanging your head in shame, saying, I'm just... I'm a sinner, I do it so much, I do it so selfishly. You see, what Jesus has promised us is exactly what we're all looking for. We're looking for that place where we can be a part of something. See, people each and every day of their life are looking. They're giving their, their lives away for something to live and die for. And we're all choosing incredibly ignorant choices, We're choosing making more money and having more stuff or or some kind of relationship that gives us a buzz and a high and this big Hollywood romantic ideal. We're we're looking for other people to make us feel worthy and valuable. Yet at the end of the day, none of those things that we seem to be chasing, that we're living and dying for each and every day, none of those things can wipe our tears away. None of those things can forgive us of the sins we know we've committed. None of those things give us a hope for the future. My money can't rescue me. My money can't keep me from dying. My friends can't keep me from passing from this life. There's no job that can keep me from wasting my days. None of those things satisfy. And Jesus said, yet I'm going to send my spirit who's going to give you purpose and enlightenment and hope and joy. He was telling his disciples on a night, the roughest night of their lives, I'm gonna give you something. I'm gonna offer you something in my love. And if you accept it, it will be your survival. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My father will love him and will come to him and we will make our home with him. Have you noticed how he started and how he closed? He started by saying, I'm gonna go prepare a home for you. And he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you home. And the beautiful part of heaven is heaven's not a one-day thing. Heaven's a today thing. Everything that Jesus promises and the Holy Spirit is available to us right now. You don't have to wait to die to get it. You can begin to live in it right now with the presence and the awareness and the enlightenment and the life and the salvation. All of those things are ours today. Once again, every founder of every other religion in the world says, do this and find God. Jesus said I am God and I found you follow me trust me let me speak into you he holds an exclusive place in everything does he hold an exclusive place with you see this morning there are some in this room who you came to church on Mother's Day because you know it's Mother's Day and something happened this morning where you're stopping and asking yourself if he really is who he says he is why What do I do with that? Around this room are four tables with lamps lit on them, and I know it's incredibly awkward to ask you to do this, but we do it anyway because it's the greatest offer you'll ever get. Not by us, by him. If you want to know who Jesus really is, and you want to journey with someone who can help you and disciple you and show you who Jesus is, we're not asking you to decide anything today. We're asking you, do you want to follow this man who came and gave his blood on the cross so that you can have hope and life and a future? If you'd like to know what that's all about, I'm going to encourage you to go to one of these tables, either after we sing or while we're singing. Just go. There are people going to meet you at that table that would be happy to pray with you and speak with you and encourage you in any way they possibly can. And there are others of us who are here who have been distracted by the things of the world, and we, we believe we know who Jesus is the prepackaged Jesus. You know, the, the kind I used to see in Sunday school with the old flannel graph people stuck on this carpeted board. And I was like, that's right. Jesus is a good dude. No, he needs to become my king not just a good dude with some good ideas that might work somewhere else. So I ask those of us who call ourselves disciples today, on a a day that we honor our moms who gave so much that we might have life and a good life and enjoy the good things that they sacrificed for us to have, wouldn't it be a great day for us to thank Jesus too for what he's offering us this day? that we don't have to wait to get. We already have it if we open ourselves to his spirit and we obey him because of our love. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.